good morning to all of you who are here. This is a historic day for us. I want to welcome you, whether you're listening to us today by on our campus here at Mill Creek or the campus at Sugarloaf or listening to us live online. I am really excited about today. It's a historic day for us to be at our new campus. We're thrilled about that. Let me tell you a story that I never dreamed I'd be telling anybody in my life. I'm going to call this guy Ray. He might even be watching the program today, so he'll know who I'm talking to. I met Ray back when I was a student pastor in a, in a church uh, in a, in here in Atlanta. And I was single at the time, and uh, he and his wife kind of took me in, as couples do with single kids sometimes. He kind of took me in and kind of uh, adopted me, and we, we became the best of friends. As a matter of fact, he was really instrumental in helping Teresa, my wife, and I get together. I was really kind of shy, and he kind of, you know, kind of brought the two of us together. And uh, so I really owe him a lot for that. But I never dreamed I would tell you this story about Ray. It'd been almost, I don't know, about 25 years. I hadn't seen Ray, hadn't talked to Ray. I don't even know how Ray got my number. We had just built the house that we're living in now and uh, my phone rang and it was Ray. 25 years, hadn't heard from Ray. And he found out somehow we were building a house and he said, hey, I want to do you a favor. He said, I, I'm, I'm in this business and I, I'd like to donate all the light fixtures in your house. And I said, Ray, you're kidding. He said, no, I said, that would be awfully kind if you would do that. And he said, yeah, we, we want to do that for you. And I said, man, that's awesome. So he told us the company to go to. So we went to the company. We picked out all of our light fixtures. We had them delivered and installed. And, uh, you know, we were grateful. We assumed everything was fine. Well, right after the light fixtures had gotten installed, we got a call from Ray. And he said, uh, hey, I, I'm a little short of cash. Could, could I borrow some money from you? And um, it was uh, not... It was a good sum of money. Let's just say it was more than just a few hundred dollars. It was a very good sum of money. And he said, I only need it for a couple of weeks and, uh, and I'll pay you back. And uh, he said, I promise you that if, you, you'll, if you'll loan me the money, uh, I'll send you a check in a couple of weeks. Well, I didn't hesitate. I mean, I'd known this guy for many years and thought he was a real good friend. And so we didn't hesitate. And we wrote a check and loaned him the money. Well, as he promised, two weeks later, we, uh, we got the check. But there was a note on it that said, don't cash the check for two more weeks. Well, we thought that was kind of odd, but didn't think a whole lot about it. Two weeks went by. I got home one afternoon. Teresa met me at the door. She said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what is this? She said, well, I cashed the check and the check bounced. I said, no way. She said, no, I'm telling you the check bounced. So I said, well, call the bank, make sure that there wasn't a mistake made. She called the bank back, said, no, there are no funds in this account. The account's been closed. Well, we called Ray. We got no response from Ray. Matter of fact, Ray's phone had been disconnected. About a week after that, we got a call from the lighting company telling us that their bill hadn't been paid. So we wound up not only having to pay for the light fixtures that he had promised us that frankly we probably may have bought somewhere else, but now we're left holding a check for a really good sum of money that to this day has never been paid back. And as you can guess, that's been 13 years ago. We've never heard another word from Ray. Don't even know how to contact him. Now, I want to be very candid and transparent with you. As time went on, my thoughts about Ray were less than positive, okay? They ranged somewhere between jail time and a vat of acid. Um, I, you know, I, I mean, seriously, I, I went from disappointment to frustration to anger. And it didn't really take long. Every day I thought about Ray. Sometime during the day, Ray would pop into my mind. And one day, I finally realized I really only had two options when it came to Ray and the debt that Ray owed me. I could live the rest of my life holding this debt over Ray's head. And every time I thought about Ray, I could think, you're the guy that took my money. 
You're the guy that swindled me. You're the guy that, how dare you do a man of God this way? I understand stealing from ordinary people, okay? I get that. How could you steal from a pastor? Are you kidding me? How could you do that to someone like me? And I could live the rest of my life thinking those kind of thoughts about Ray or I could choose to forgive Ray. I could just make the choice. I'm going to release Ray from what he owed me and go on with my life. Now, I'm going to tell you something we all know. We all know that somebody is going to do you wrong. Somebody's either going to lie to you or lie about you. You're either going to be beaten up or you're going to be knocked down. People are either going to walk out on you when you need them the most or they're going to walk in on you when you don't want them. They're going to cheat you. They're going to steal from you. They're going to give you the short end of the stick. They're going to leave you holding the bag. People are going to take from you and they're never going to give to you or they're going to borrow from you and they're never going to repay you. Those things are going to happen. Nobody's immune from it. Pastor's not immune from it. You're not immune from it. Doesn't matter how much you love God, love Jesus, read your Bible, go to church. People are going to do you wrong. The question is this, how do you do right when you've been done wrong? That's the question. How do you do right when you've been done wrong? Now, we're in a series that we've called Fault. And just by way of review, we've taught you that, that, um, that, that the world is made up of, of this geographical surface that's very rocky. And there are times that geologically speaking, a layer of the earth separates. Rocks begin to separate. They separate vertically. They separate horizontally. When they do that, it begins to cause tremors. And those tremors begin to cause earthquakes. And those earthquakes can cause massive damage. And what we said is that just like that, we all have faults. The Bible calls them sin. And our faults cause tremors that cause earthquakes. They don't separate earth, they separate people. They rupture relationships, they fracture friendships. And what we've been saying in this series is this, every time that a relationship is ruptured, every time a friendship is fractured, every time two people get separated and get on the wrong end of the stick from each other, one of two things is always usually true. Sometimes it's my fault, not their fault. Sometimes we're the ones that broke the, 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 that, that broke the relationship. We're the ones that ruptured the relationship. We're the ones that fractured the friendship. We're the ones that caused the problem. So we took the first part of this series and we said, okay, how do you repair a relationship that you broke? How do you repair a relationship that, that you tore apart? When it's your fault, you're the one that did it, you've got to own up to it, how do you do that? And so we told you that there were three steps that you needed to take, and I won't go through those today, but we said, okay, if you're the one that broke it, you're the one that's got to fix it, here's what you need to do. Now we have flipped the scenario. We said, okay, let's go to a case that's a lot more difficult. How do you repair a relationship when you're not the one that ruptured it? How do you solve a problem when you're not the one that caused it? What do you do in this situation when you can honestly say, look, it's not my fault, it's their fault. I'm not the one that broke it, they're the one that broke it. I'm not the one that caused the problem, they're the one that caused the problem, it's their fault. Well, if you remember, if you were not here, then I'll refresh, I'll tell you, if you were, I'll refresh your memory. Last week we said that when you're not the one that broke the relationship, but you want that relationship to be fixed, we said the first step that you've got to take is the step of confrontation. 
We said, you're the one that's got to take the initiative. You've got to go to the one that broke it. You've got to take the steps to fix it. What we said was, you need to go to that person, not anyone else. You need to go to that person that hurt you. Go to that person that sinned against you. Go to that person that offended you. And you need to take that step and you need to confront them lovingly, but firmly. You need to let them know what they've done wrong in case they have forgotten it or in case they don't want to own up to it and see if they're willing to confess it and then forgive them and seek reconciliation. Well, there's a question that I know that some people left asking last week because I get emails. And there's some questions that some of you are asking right now and it really is a fair question. And here's the question. So how many times do you have to forgive someone when they do you wrong? When, when they cheat you, they lie to you, they steal from you, whatever the case may be. How many times do you have to forgive someone? I mean, do you ever finally get to the point where you get to replace forgiveness with bitterness? Do you ever get to the point where you finally can say, I think I'm just gonna carry a grudge against someone the rest of my life? I'm glad you asked the question because Jesus knew you would ask it and Jesus answered that question. So if you brought a copy of God's word or you've got a tablet or a smartphone or whatever it is you may use, I want you to turn to the gospel of Matthew. There are four gospels in the Bible, if you're not familiar. There are four gospels. They're almost a little bit past the middle of the Bible. They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want you to look in Matthew chapter 18. Now, let me tell you something I know is true about you because it's true about me. It's one thing to go to one person who's offended you one time over one offense and forgive them one time. That's not all that hard. But what if that person does something else wrong to you? Or what's even worse, what if that person does the same thing wrong again? How do you deal with that? Now, I know what some of you are saying. Some of you know your Bible, right? And you're saying, I know the Bible says, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Well, no, that's not what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, that is exactly what Peter was asking. Peter knew you were going to be asking the question because he asked the question. Here's what he said in verse 21. Then Peter came up. Now remember, Jesus has just been telling him, if somebody sins against you, you go to that person, you confront that person, and you try to make things right. So Peter says, okay, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now, why did Peter mention seven times? Where did that number come from? Well, you have to understand that back in the day in the Jewish culture, the going rate for forgiveness was three times. That, that was kind of the going rate. Ancient rabbis used to teach, you had an obligation to forgive someone if they did you wrong three times. But their policy was three strikes, you're out. If they hurt you or they offend you or they sin against you on the fourth time, then all bets are off. You can do whatever you want to them. Well, Peter knows this. So Peter's trying to think ahead of what Jesus is going to say. So he does kind of what he thinks is a good thing. He doubles down on that number, adds another number as a free pass as a bonus, and he thinks he's giving Jesus a blue light special. He says, okay, Lord, what if I forgive someone seven times? Is that enough? Now, knowing Peter, he probably thought that Jesus was about to give him the Disciple of the Year Award, right? He thinks, okay, I'm really proud of what I've done. You know, Lord, the ancient rabbi said, you gotta forgive three times, but you know what? I'm willing to double down. I'll forgive a person six, and even if he does the seventh time, I'll give him one more time 
as a free pass. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or in some translations, it says 70 times seven. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said that? Because that is not the answer I can assure you Peter was expecting, and it's probably not the answer that you were expecting. Well, Jesus was not giving a math lesson. He wasn't saying, okay, here's what you need to do. Get a forgiveness app on your smartphone. And whenever someone sins against you, let that app record it. And on the 491st time, nuke them. Let them have it. They have exceeded their limit and you are good to go. That's not what he was saying. Peter knew exactly what he was saying. Here's what Jesus was saying to him, Peter. There can be no limit to how many times you forgive other people because there is no limit to how many times God forgives you. There can be no limit to how many times you forgive people because there's no limit to how many times God has forgiven you. Now, let me just stop and, and, and I, just want, I, know, I know where you are and I get it. I know for some of you right now, this is gut-wrenching. I realize that for some of you right now, you're sitting there thinking, wait a minute, you don't know what you're asking of me. You, you, you don't even know how the person I'm thinking about right now has hurt me. You don't even know how many times that person has hurt me. You don't know how many times that person has apologized and asked for forgiveness. So can you give me just one reason? I'm not gonna ask for two or three. Can you give me just one reason why I should always be ready and willing and able to forgive no matter what? Yes, I can. And I'm gonna give you the one reason that Jesus gave Peter and Jesus gave the disciples and Jesus gave us. And it's found in what I want you to take out the door this morning. You ready? Here's the reason. Because forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. Now, let me tell you what Jesus does. I'm, and I'm so glad he does it this way. Jesus loved to teach in parables. His favorite way to teach was to tell stories. And I had a, I had a, a pastor, a young pastor tell me the other day, he listens to me quite a bit. And he said, he said, you know, he said, uh, doc, he said, one of those things I love about you is you, you, you tell all these stories. And I get that from Jesus because Jesus really understood as I understood that one of the best ways people learn to remember is by telling stories. Well, Jesus loved to tell stories. They were called parables. And in this parable, he tells a story. And in this parable, we're going to read what I believe may be the most powerful story ever told in the entire Bible about forgiveness. Because here's what I understand that's true about all of us. You'll never understand the what of forgiveness till you understand the why of forgiveness. You'll never get to a point where you can really be a forgiven person till you understand why you need to be. So remember last week, we told you, step one, when it's not your fault, it's their fault, but you wanna to try to rebuild that relationship, step one is the step of confrontation. That's step one, all right? Today, we take step two. Step two is the step of elimination. Say that out loud with me. Elimination, all right? Get that word in your mind. That's the second step you've got to take if you're going to finally rebuild your life, get past your bitterness, get past your grudge holding, get past your anger, and finally get on with your life and be free because some of you, as I'm gonna talk about today, you're in a prison you have built with your own hands and I wanna free you from that prison. So in this story, Jesus gives two do's and one don't to understand not only what forgiveness is, but why we ought to forgive and how we can move our heart to do so. So I'm gonna give you a do, a don't, and a do, all right? Here we go, number one. Do remember 
God has forgiven, has given his forgiveness to you. First thing I want you to remember, do remember God has forgiven his forgiveness to you. Now we're in Matthew 18, verse 23. Therefore, what are you saying therefore for? Because he had just said to Peter, I want you to forgive 77 times or 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. Now, keep one thing in mind. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. You won't understand the parable unless you understand he's talking about the kingdom of God. Back in the early days of our nation, you may or may not know this, there were what we call debtor prisons. Same thing in Bible days, just like that. There were debtor prisons. If you owed a debt that you couldn't pay, you would be thrown in prison. Well, Jesus tells this story of a man who owed a king a great sum of money. So he's brought before the king and the king's demanding that this man pay up. Now, the problem was not that the man owed money. That wasn't the problem. The problem was what the man owed because it was so staggering. Jesus said, here's a man that owed the king 10,000 talents. Now, you think you got credit card debt. Let me make you feel better this morning, all right? This man owed the king 10,000 talents. Now, you, you, that doesn't make any sense to you, so let me kind of help you with it. One talent equaled 6,000 denarii. Now, I know that doesn't mean a lot to you, so let me just kind of bring it down where you can understand it. This man owed the king 60 million denarii. If you do the math, he owed the king 60 million denarii. Okay, so okay, what does that mean? Back in that day, the average worker would make one denarius a day. So the average median wage back in that day was one denarius a day. So here's what this means. If this man worked seven days a week, if this man worked 52 weeks a year, if the man never took any time off and he gave that king everything he made, he would have taken, it would have taken him 606 years to pay off that debt. You think you got credit card problems, all right? 606 years. Now listen to this. The average lifespan back in that day was 28 years. The average person would be 28 years old. Therefore, if that man were to pay that debt off, it would take him 21 and one half lifetimes to pay off that debt. Now, let's kind of bring this up to the 21st century. The average wage in America is roughly $50,000 a year. Computed out in today's dollars, this man owed that king $8.2 billion. So today, if that man worked seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, never took a day off, gave the man everything he owed him, it would take him 164,000 years to pay this debt off. In other words, there was no way this guy was ever going to pay that debt off. It was an impossible situation. That's why had you been back in that day and, and listened to Jesus, Jesus had a great sense of humor. You would have been laughing your head off at, what the, at, at the man's response to the king. Now listen to this. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him. Now listen, I love this. Have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. Just give me enough time. Now, I'm gonna guarantee you something. Hell will freeze over. Pigs will fly. I will become a Florida Gator fan. 
before that man ever pays off that debt. Not gonna happen unless reincarnation is true and that man can keep up the pace of working 21 lifetimes, seven days a week, living on nothing, gave his all in money back to the king. That king is never going to see his money. Now watch this. You're sitting there saying, okay, so what has that got to do with us? What has that got to do with me? All right, remember, I've told you this before. Every time Jesus told a story, and every time Jesus tells a parable, you're in that parable. Somewhere, some way, somehow, you and I are in that parable. It has to do with us, all right? Remember I told you that Jesus is comparing, that he's talking about the kingdom of God. He said, this is the way the kingdom of God operates, okay? So let's just see how, how smart you are this morning. Who do you think the debtor in the story represents? Who's the debtor? Us, all right, we're the debtor, right? Everybody got that? We are the debtor. Now, what do you think the debt represents? Well, what has Jesus just been talking about? He's been talking about faults. He's been talking about sin. If your brother sins against you, go and confront your brother. So the fault represents sin. That makes sense because remember we told you several weeks ago, sin, what sin really is, is the debt that we incur against God every time we disobey one of God's commandments. Every time God says do and you don't, every time God says don't and you do, you incur a sin debt to God. So. We're the debtor, the debt is sin, okay? Now this is easy. So who does the king represent? Somebody tell me. Represents God, right? The king represents God. We're talking about the kingdom of God, okay? So here's the point. We all owe God, every one of us owe God a debt of sin we could never ever pay off. Now, the, now they get this, they understand this. And these people are listening to Jesus and they're saying, okay, we know what's gonna happen to this guy. This guy's gonna be thrown in jail. He's going to rot, he's going to die because he'll never ever be, be able to pay off this debt. And this is where the story takes a shocking turn, verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now watch what happens. You could have heard chins hitting the dirt all over the place. This master does the unthinkable. The man owes the king the money. No doubt about it, he owes it and he can't pay it off. The master steps up, this master steps up and he says, sire, I'll take his debt. I'll turn it into a personal loan. I will pay the loan off myself. Would you please set him free? Now watch this. What that king did for that servant is exactly what the king of kings has done for us. He stepped up to the plate for us and he looked at his heavenly father. He said, Father, they'll never ever be able to repay off the sin debt that they owe you. I'll pay it off. I'll sign the check. I'll cancel the debt. You set them free. So here's what I want you to understand. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a forgiven person. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a forgiven person. Your sin debt has been completely paid off. You owe God nothing. Even though we crucified his son, even though we've disobeyed all of his commandments, even though we sin every day of our life, our debt has been totally canceled. God has forgiven all of our sins. We need to remember that. Okay, got it? So we got to remember the forgiveness God has given to us. 
Now Jesus gives a don't. He says, okay, in light of that, don't refuse to give your forgiveness to others. If you remember that God has given his forgiveness to you, don't refuse to give your forgiveness to others. Now watch this. As if that crowd had not already been stunned enough as they usually were by these stories that Jesus told, this story turns again on a dime in a way they never would have expected, okay? This man who owed this king a debt he could never ever pay, who thought he was going to prison, who thought he'd never see his family again, all of a sudden, this man is not only given his freedom, he owes nobody any money. He's got it made. Well, he hadn't been free five minutes. You know what the guy does? <laughs> he goes looking for somebody that owes, his, owes him money. He goes looking for one of his debtors. Now, the crowd is expecting that what this man had done, had done to him, he would turn around and do to somebody that owed him money as well. That's not the way it happens, verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Keep that figure in mind. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me and I will pay you. Same thing he told the king. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now that's almost unbelievable. The second guy owes the first guy a hundred denarii. Now, you're getting the story, right? This was a fraction of what the first guy had owed the king. It was a penance. And listen, what's even worse, the most inexpensive slave could be sold back in that day for 500 denarii. So in other words, if this man had just sold the guy, had just sold him to somebody else, he would not only gotten his money back, he would have made 400% interest. Got it? Now, let's put this in perspective. The first man owes the king, remember what we said, $8.2 billion. That's what the first man owed. What did the second man owe? He owed, I did the calculation for you, 0.0000167% of what the other man owed. In other words, the first man owed the king $8.2 billion. The second man owed the first man $12,000. Now, what's even more bizarre, he says, you know what? I'm going to put you in jail until you pay the debt back. So in other words, not only is this first guy ungrateful for what the king had done for him, he is completely unreasonable. Because let me tell you why. How's the guy ever going to pay him back if he throws him in jail? I mean, think about it. I mean, if the guy's got no money out of jail, How's he gonna get money if he's in jail? What's he gonna do, sell magazines to the inmates? Or somebody said to me outside, sell signed jerseys of Todd Gurley? I mean, what's he gonna do, right? How's he gonna pay the money? I just had to get that in, all right. How's he gonna pay that back? All right, now watch this. Now you're getting the answer to the big question you've been asking, which is this. Why should I forgive blank because of what blank did to me? Why should I forgive blank because of what blank has done to me? Why should I keep on forgiving even if he keeps doing something wrong? And the short answer is this, because God has forgiven me and God continues to forgive me. God has forgiven me and God continues to forgive me. Hey, when I gave my life to Jesus as a nine-year-old boy, you know what God did? He canceled all my sin debt, but I take to tell you this, 
<laughs> I went back to the bank. I went back and borrowed the money. Matter of fact, I borrow every day. I incur sin debt every day. We all do. We all sin every day. And you know what God says? I not only have forgiven you, I forgave you yesterday. I'm going to forgive you today and I will forgive you tomorrow. Now, here's the question. Do you know why it's so much easier for us to ask forgiveness from God than it is to give forgiveness to others? And that's true. It's so much easier to go to God and say, God, would you please forgive me for what I have done to you? That's a whole lot easier than go to someone else and say, I'm going to forgive you for what you have done to me. You say, yeah, why is it so much harder to do that? I'll tell you why. It's because we have failed to see what we've done to God and we forget how God has forgiven us. I want you to hear this. If you stay focused on what other people have done to you, you will forget what you've done to God. If you stay focused on what other people have done to you, you will forget what you have done to God. If you sleep in a bed of bitterness, and some of you do every night, if you've got a stranglehold on a grudge, you won't release. If you're sitting there right now and you've got your arms folded, or at least in your heart, you're looking at me like this, and you're sitting there and you're saying, you can say what you want to say, you can preach what you want to preach, you can exhort all you want to exhort. I am telling you, I have made up my mind. I am never, ever going to forgive that person for what they've done to me. I'm not going to do it. One of two things is true about you. Either you just don't remember the forgiveness that God has given you, or you've never really received the forgiveness of God because forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. So now, go back to when that king released that first debtor from his debt and forgave it. You notice something? When that king says to that first debtor, I'm going to cancel your debt and I'm going to set you free. You are free to go back home to your family. You don't owe me anything else. Your debt has been paid off. Did you notice or did you not notice that Jesus doesn't report one word of gratitude? He, 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 you don't hear one word of thanks. You don't hear one word of appreciation. You know why? Because you'll only give forgiveness to others when you're grateful for the forgiveness that God has given you. You'll only give forgiveness to others when you're grateful for the forgiveness that God has given to you. Now, there's one last reason why you ought to forgive someone and eliminate their sin debt. I told you to do, remember the forgiveness God's given you. You remember the don't, don't refuse to give that forgiveness to others. Now here's the last one. Do realize forgiveness brings freedom, bitterness brings bondage. Forgiveness brings freedom, bitterness brings bondage. Now I want you to listen to the way that Jesus ends this unbelievable story, verse 31. When his fellow servants, that is of the first man, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. Now here's what I, this is, every time I read this story, it gets me. This story could have had a happy ending. Everybody could have gone home forgiven. Everybody could have gone, don't, gone home debt free because all this man had to do, it's so easy. Look, good. Look, dude, just forgive what you've been forgiven. Just forgive him the way the king has forgiven you. But instead, what happens? Here's how the story winds up. This man winds up in the prison where the story 
all started. Now, there's a reason why Jesus ends the story that way. It's not coincidental because I realize what we're talking about right now. Listen, don't, please don't think I'm, I'm insensitive here. I'm not trying to be. I'm not standing up here today asking you to do something that's easy. I'm not asking you to do anything that comes naturally. I'm not asking you to do anything that's not going to cost you and cost you a lot. I'm not asking any of that. I, I get it. I understand how difficult this is. I also understand. You're sitting there saying, I only wish the story you told at the beginning is all this person had done to me. You know, pastor, you've never experienced the hurt that I've, that I've experienced. You're probably right. I probably never have. You've never really had anybody do you the way that this person's done me. You know, you're right. I, I probably never have. You, you've never had anybody divorce you and leave you holding the bag and being a single parent. No, I, I haven't. You've never been sexually abused by someone you trusted. No, I I haven't. You ever been swindled out of everything you own by a crooked business partner? No, I haven't. And I get it. I've never been hurt the way some of you have been hurt. But I also want to tell you that nobody in this room, nobody listening to me on either campus or listening by computer right now, none of us have been hurt the way we've hurt God. None of us. None of us have had anything due to us what we have done to God. And forgiving others is only possible when you quit focusing on what somebody has done to you and you start focusing on what you have done to God and what God has done for you. Because here's what this ending illustrates. Remember, the guy's thrown back in prison. Why does Jesus make that point? Because if you sit, if you sit here today and listen to me, and you refuse to forgive. You just make up your mind. I don't care what you say. I'm going to sleep in the bed of bitterness the rest of my life. I just want to ask you one question before you decide to do that. Who do you think you're going to hurt the most? You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt you. Because you see, here's what I want you to understand this. Forgiveness doesn't primarily benefit the person that's forgiven. Forgiveness primarily benefits the person that forgives. Unforgiveness doesn't really hurt the person that's not forgiven. Unforgiveness hurts the person that refuses to forgive. Because listen again to what happened to this man. Listen to verse 34. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. You know what that means? That guy died in jail. He died in prison. He never got out. And what Jesus is saying is, the way this story ends is the way the lives of bitter people always end. They live in prisons of their own making. There's some of you listening right now. You live in a prison. You built yourself a prison of anger, a prison of bitterness, a prison of a memory you can't get rid of a prison of guilt, a prison of depression, a prison of a bitter, negative, cynical spirit. I read something the other day. I didn't even know this was in Scripture. Listen to these verses. Listen to this. Job, chapter, Job verse 21. Listen to this. Some men stay healthy until the day they die. That's the way I want to die. I want to die healthy if I can. Some men stay healthy until the day they die. Others have no happiness at all. They live and die with bitter hearts. Listen. Did you know that doctors have found a clear connection between the health of the body and the effects of unforgiveness and bitterness? I'm not making this up. There was a study that found if you hold, listen to this, if you hold bitter 
vengeful thoughts for 16 seconds, just 16 seconds, it can lead to an increase in blood pressure, heart rate, muscle tension, and a decrease in your T-cell counts, which help you fight disease. On the other hand, the same research showed that when you decide to forgive someone, when you decide to let bitterness go, your body's level of cortisol, which causes stress, decreases. Your immune system improves. Listen to this. Your cardiovascular function, which helps to burn calories, improves greatly. So in other words, here's what doctors have found. If you will start being a forgiving person, if you'll forgive people that have hurt you, you will not only be happier, you'll probably lose weight. All kinds of reasons to forgive, but there's one thing I can tell you. I, 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 can, I guarantee you this is true. I've lived long enough to see it. I have ever, never, ever met, ever in my life or in my ministry, I have never in my life ever met a happy, joyful, radiant, enthusiastic, bitter person. Haven't met that person yet. So listen to the last thing Jesus says. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now that's a strong statement and I don't want you to misunderstand what Jesus was saying. God's forgiveness is unconditional. I wanna make that plain. God's forgiveness is unconditional, but it's not unproductive. And here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus was saying, you know what? When God has truly sown the seed of bitterness in your heart, your life will bear the fruit of forgiveness for others because forgiven people forgive people. God does not forgive me because I forgive other people. That's not what Jesus was saying. God does not forgive me because I forgive other people. I forgive other people because God has forgiven me. And see, you can only say forgive me to God if you're willing to say I forgive you to other people. Let me say that again. You can only really say, forgive me to God, if you're willing to say, I forgive you to other people. The reason why God can forgive me is because Jesus paid my sin debt for me. And the reason why that I can forgive someone else is because Jesus paid their sin debt too. Now, I wanna wrap all this up and bring it full circle. I told you that I had to make a decision about Ray. I had to make a decision about Ray's check. Well, here is a copy of that check that Ray bounced. This is a copy of that check I've been holding for 13 years. In your worship guide today, you'll find a check. I want you to pull that check out right now. In your worship guide today, there's a check and it looks like this. Teresa and I wrote this check to Ray 13 years ago. The money that he owes me, we wrote that check to him. And I'm gonna do something I haven't done until today. I'm gonna challenge you to practice forgiveness in a tangible way. So you're today and I don't know who the Ray is in your life, and I don't know what that Ray did to you. I don't know, maybe it's like me. He owes you money, never gonna pay it back. Maybe it's someone that had an affair, committed adultery, walked out on you, you tried to save the marriage, they wouldn't let you, and you raised children as a single parent, and you've suffered for it ever since. 
Maybe it's someone that sexually abused you when you were a child and, and you've lived with that all of your life and you feel so dirty and so guilty, not because of what you've done, but because of what they did to you. But somebody's wronged you today. Today's the day we're getting out of jail. Today's the day we're getting out of prison. Tonight, last night was the last night you're gonna sleep in a bed of bitterness because here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this check right now and take a pen or a pencil. Here's what I want you to do. When it says pay to the order of, I want you to write down the person or the people who've hurt you. I want you to do that right now. I want you to write down the person or the people who have hurt you. Put their name in that pay to the order of. And then I don't want you to worry about the amount. It doesn't matter what they owe you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do what I'm going to do. I've never done this in 13 years, but today I am writing across this check paid in full. Ray, if you're watching today, you don't owe me the money anymore. I've canceled the debt. And oh, by the way, I wrote it in red for a purpose because that's what color God wrote on my check when he canceled my debt to him. He wrote it in red. So I'm gonna ask you today to write that check right now, whatever that person is, and then write on that check, paid in full. Now, here's the question. The question is real simple. Would you say this morning you've really been forgiven by God through Jesus Christ? Would you say this morning, honestly, that you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you know that God has forgiven you for all of your sins, okay? You say, yep, pastor, that's me. I am a forgiven person. God has forgiven me. I've trusted Jesus Christ. He paid for my sins. I've accepted his payment. I am a forgiven person, okay? If that's true, then beginning right now, quit worrying about what somebody else has done to you in the past. And start remembering what you have done to God and start being thankful that God has forgiven you. And you need to understand that because you went to God and you confessed that you owed a debt he did not owe, you, you owed a debt you could never repay, he paid the debt that you couldn't repay. You owed a debt you could never repay, he paid the debt that he didn't owe. And if you have received forgiveness through Jesus Christ, then you forgive whomever, whenever, whatever anyone has done to you for one reason, because forgiven people forgive people. Let's pray together. If you're here this morning and uh, are you listening at uh, our campus at Sugarloaf, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, can I just ask you to do one thing? Would you just forget about what somebody's done to you for a moment? Just forget that, just for a moment. Do you understand what you've done to God? Do you understand that it was your sins that crucified Jesus on a cross? Do you understand that you owe a debt you could never repay, but Jesus paid a debt he didn't know? Do you understand because you can go to God today through Jesus Christ and be forgiven? you understand that not only can you be forgiven, but you can become a forgiving person. Now, I'm talking to some of you today and you'd say, oh no, I could never forgive that person for what that person has done to me. Yes, you can if you ever experience the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And hopefully now you'll understand why Jesus Christ died on a cross. He died to pay your sin debt. He died to pay what
I want to invite you to do that right now. Sitting in this room, you, this may be your first time here. Maybe you came with the invitation of a guest, but you've never truly trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Forget about somebody else. You've never gotten forgiveness yourself. If you're willing today to accept that forgiveness, would you just simply pray this prayer with me right now? Would you just say, Lord Jesus, I get it. I understand now. The story makes it so plain. I'm that debtor. You're the king, and I'm the one that owed you a debt I could never pay off. 